0: Hey folks, this is Ian Foster, and this is If and When, a podcast where I talk to other creators about how and why they do their thing. To start, I'm talking to colleagues, friends, and veterans of the arts community at home here in Newfoundland and Labrador, Canada. These are not so much traditional interviews as they're a chat over coffee or something a little stronger. So come sit in and have a listen. Hey, welcome back to the podcast. I say welcome back because this is part two of my conversation with the Reverend Rob Cook from St. Mark's Anglican Church in St. John's. If you missed part one, you definitely didn't want to miss it. So go back in the app, listen to part one, then come back here and hear the continuation of our conversation. Okay, a little bit of housekeeping. Nancy and I about to go on tour with the Christmas with Ian Foster and Nancy Hines. We're going to play songs from our Week in December album. We've got some new surprises for you. And we're taking the tour up along, as they say, to Ontario, Southern Ontario, a whole bunch of dates. New Brunswick, several dates. And then back to Newfoundland, across the island, starting December 12th at St. Mark's. See how it all ties together in this podcast? Because Rob Cook is with... Anyway, uh, and then we go across the island. So you can get tickets at ianfoster.ca with all those ticket details, there are usually multiple ways to get tickets. There is no excuse for you to go, I didn't know, man, I couldn't find tickets. You could go to, there's convenience stores that have these tickets. It's it's in the title how convenient that is to go get the tickets at those places. There's stores for your convenience to buy tickets for us. Actually, there's only like one or two stores that are convenience stores that have tickets because it's specific to the local area. But the point is, ianfoster.ca all the details there for whichever show you're looking for we would love for you to be with us during the holiday season this year okay Rob Cook part two do you think there's a challenge there for people in the sense that I mean you're sort of addressing I guess the mystery right and mm-hmm. that's you know a very catholic thing too with the whole mass being in Latin etc mm-hmm. for so many years Is like embracing the mystery but I feel like there are are people who really struggle with that because they go to church for the answers? Yes. How do how do you walk that line?
1: Yeah, and I remember uh, there was a speaking of books a few years ago. There was a book, uh, a year of living biblically. I don't know if you remember yeah, I Testament? remember seeing it. I didn't read yeah. it. From. I can't remember the author's name now, but he decided for a year oh, yeah. <laughs> he was going to f- follow the Bible literally. So right. the Old Testament and then the New Testament. It focuses more on the Old Testament. And uh, there's one section where he's talking to people from the uh, uh, Ascidic uh, Judaism about why they believe all these rules and regulations. <clears throat> And the answer that they gave was that it's easy. I don't have to think about it, right? Um, Because it's right there in front of me. Mm -hmm. I just give myself over to to this. Mm -hmm. I don't have to worry about it. It's just there, and I do it. And for some people, I think that brings a lot of comfort, that they don't have to think about these things, that it's just there, it's set, it's timeless. I can just do it. Mm-hmm. That's not true for everybody, mm-hmm. and I, I, I get the feeling it's not true for you based on the way you've been talking to me. <laughs> definitely not. Yeah, <laughs> but I think I can see both, though, because I said earlier, remember, about how the the act of going to church and and doing things, moving, praying, singing, chanting, receiving communion in the way that people have done for you know millennia. I like that. Mm-hmm. but i also like the freedom to be able to think for myself and make up my own mind mm-hmm. and not have an institution or a person say okay you got to do this right right that it's again i keep coming back it's it's not either or it's both and
2: mm-hmm.
1: right that i can be a part of a tradition but also i'm not bound by the tradition right Right, that there is a certain element of, of, of freedom.
0: Right. There. Did, exp- did you have did you have a similar struggle as the one that kind of led into this line of thought? Like for me, as I was saying earlier, you know, uh, feeling like there was this big divide that I just hadn't really been told about and felt kind of embarrassed and stupid that I'm like, how did I not know this for this thing that clearly is important to me, that there's this history, you know, and of course, like you're saying, there's those two things, spirituality and history can walk alongside each other if you think about them a certain way. Mm-hmm. But for me, it really, it was something to reconcile that I had to learn
1: to reconcile. Mm-hmm. Do you have something like that? Well, I would say I'm still learning to reconcile. Sure. How to make sense of this, because I, I, I think I'm a, a fairly rational thinking kind of person, So to to balance the, the, you know, the intellectual side of my faith with the experiential side of my faith. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I think I, too, I'm still coming to terms with, you know, those beliefs, doctrines and dogma that were passed on to me Mm -hmm. that I've inherited. I'm still trying to make sense of them. And what does it mean for me to believe them? Right. Do Mm -hmm. I believe them intellectually or are they Mm. important to me? Do I hold them in my brain or do I hold them in my heart? Right. Um, You know, I I, I still find it hard to stand there on Sundays and say the creed, Mm. especially the Nicene Creed, because it's so philosophical and it's so... It so comes out of a particular time in response to particular issues that really aren't important to us anymore, right? right? Like the essence of Jesus. Now could Jesus be both human and divine at the same time? And, you know, there was a, it was kind of a litmus test for, for heresy, right? And if you could say this, you're in. And if you can't say it, you're out. That's not the world. That's not the space we inhabit anymore. Right. And I know a lot of people say to me, geez, I really find it hard to say the the creed. Right. But the way that I can say it is that it's not my creed. It's the church's creed. It's how we've made sense of it. And we're still trying to figure out what that means. Right. What it means for us today. Right. Um, And I noticed that there's a shift uh, to me and in myself too, but I think in the wider church, away from an emphasis on right belief to an emphasis on right action. Mm. Right. So believing all the right things doesn't really, that's not what's really important is what do you do with those beliefs. Right. Right. So if you believe that there is a God, that there is a certain way that you're expected to to live. Right. Right. I would use the example of, of creation. Right. So if we believe that God created everything, mm, we should live like God created everything and mm. maybe take care of it and, you know, help protect it and pass it on. And Right those kinds of connections if we believe that jesus was the son of god i don't really care if you believe jesus was the son of god i'd like to see that you live like you believe jesus was the son of god that he had something to say that's worth um you know uh, trying to frame your life around Mm. that you welcome Mm -hmm. the stranger that you associate with the poor not only associate but that you give of yourself to, to the poor, right? Um, that you make time for others. Right. I To me, that's more important. Yeah. And that's a new thing for the church still. We're, we're you know, we would, as I was saying before, we want people to come, believe what we believe, behave like we behave, then you can belong. Right. Now it feels like there's more of an openness for people to maybe belong first. The belief stuff might come. It might not come. Right. The behave stuff, yeah, you'll learn why we do things the way we do, why we move that candle uh to that place, why we, you know, receive communion the way we receive communion, why do we practice baptism, right? And those things will start to make sense to you. It doesn't have to be the okay, you gotta be like us and then you're a part of us, is that be part of us and then we become a part of you, right?
0: Right. Yeah. I I think another giant struggle is just I guess the machine of it, which, you know, I'm yeah. sure there'd be a few Anglicans who'd be mad I even call it a machine, but you know, there it is a big church, churches are all every all all these churches that we're discussing are are giant institutions and they move slowly yeah. and people's lives can't wait for them to move slowly. And and I know you probably have some personal stories about this based on Again, your, your, your very outspoken uh, thoughts on uh, marriage equality, as in your fort, you mm-hmm. know, and uh, the idea that there's probably people who lived and died who couldn't get married in the Anglican Church while the
1: institution decided, needed to sit and think about it for another little while. Yeah, I mean, I have a very personal, powerful story. Um, we had two parishioners at St. Mark's who were together for... 24 years, um, they had met uh, in Central Newfoundland, moved to St. John's, started coming to church at St. Mark's. Their names were Robert and Cal, and uh, they desperately wanted to get married in their church. And but they were never the type of people who would like, you know, protest or march in a pride parade or anything like that. They were very private but had a deep faith and were deeply committed to the church and were involved in all kinds of different ways in the life of of St. Mark's and they waited and they waited and they waited. And so many times, um, they were denied. What I would say would be full inclusion in the life of the church. They could receive communion. They could be part of what we did, but marriage was always off limits and but 2 years ago they both died within 5 weeks of each other and i remember at the especially at the second funeral i was so angry so angry with the church that the church had you know delayed and denied for so long that they never got the chance to to proclaim their love and share in that sacramental you know acknowledgment of their love with their church mm. Uh, And so just last weekend when we had uh, our our synod and we finally made that step forward for marriage equality, Mm -hmm. it was a bittersweet time for me because, yeah, I'm happy for everybody now that they can, you know, have that full inclusion in the church. But it was denied to Cal and Robert and so many other people. And some people didn't leave because, you know, they they died. They just just left. So I can't. I can't put my life on hold. Yeah. For this. Yeah. Um and they they left the church? Yeah. Maybe they'll come back, maybe they won't. Yeah. And I can understand that. And yeah. I would, you know, struggle in conversations with people trying to convince them to to stay.
0: How do you reconcile that because I'm sure you feel you know to to sort of add a a, a little comparison to this, you know, we can all disagree on things. As people, but there's gonna be every now and then sometimes something someone says to you that's just like, Really? You believe that? Oh my god, are we gonna be able to keep being (laughs) friends if you think XYZ thing, (laughs) fill in the blank of one you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so over the years for me, you know, I've thought of that issue and friends of mine who are gay who couldn't get married, and I'm like, how can you support a church? that won't see you as equal to everyone else. I'm like, that would be a deal breaker if it was me in your shoes. I'm mad for them, you mm-hmm. know? So how, how, how does
1: one reconcile that? The way that I reconcile it, and was, this was a constant struggle for me, that would come to the surface every time there would be another formal rejection of the LGBTQ community. And so in, in July, when Anglicans from across the country gathered, to vote on marriage equality and there was a no only because there was a few bishops who said no, uh, all those struggles came up again. And, you know, you mentioned earlier about social media and people confronting you. I was very publicly confronted by people to say, how the hell can you continue in this homophobic, uh, institution that continues to cause pain and suffering on on this this community and the own the best argument i could come up with is that <sighs> i see the potential right and i stay so i can fight mm. if everybody leaves if all the progressive voices leave if all the allies for the lgbtq community leave what are we left with we're just going to leave the church to the homophobes uh, to the dark uh, views, because, I mean, it's like any institution. Yeah, there's some dark stuff in there too, right? right. Am I just going to leave it to the to the conservatives, to those who want to keep the church in, in the past? Right. Or am I going to stay? Am I going to fight for a more progressive and open church? And that's what kept me going. Yeah. But it was... I don't know how much longer I had in me. Right. <laughs> and I, you know, and that's why I'm, I'm a white, cisgendered male. My sexuality has never been an issue for me. Right. Uh, my gender has never been an issue for me. So it's fine for me to say that. But I have the utmost respect for people from the LGBTQ community that have stayed in the church. Right. And did not leave. Yeah. When it would be so easy for them to leave. Right. Uh, but they stood, they stayed because their faith was important to them and their church was important to them. Mm-hmm. And I felt like I got to stay with them, too. Yeah. And keep at it. Now, and just because we, you know, we had a vote and we can, you know, perform same-sex weddings now, that doesn't mean that the struggle is over. Yeah. <laughs> They're still, right? Do I understand correctly that...
0: Um That it's still a choice, though, per either parish or minister about whether they do it? Yeah.
1: Yeah. It was really important um, for it to be done in a way that everybody felt like they could move forward. Right. um, That it wouldn't be mandated. Right. Right. That Anglicanism has always tried to be a big tent church, Mm. that there's room for everybody. Right. Right. Uh, like we were talking about earlier, but high church and low church, mm-hmm. that you could have conservatives and liberals, that you could have people from all kinds of different backgrounds, uh, but we still get together and we we pray together. Mm-hmm. Um, that's always been really important to Anglicanism. Mm-hmm. And it really hurt me that it was this sexuality thing that seemed to be splintering everything. Right. Because Anglicans agree on very little. Right. Probably the fact that we... Disagree. That's the only thing we agree <laughs> on. We can't even agree on on what's happening in in the Eucharist, right? But it seemed like this sexuality thing was was wedging us apart, and I think right. that was more about politics and and power and all kinds of stuff going on there. Right. Uh, so the this the the, the this decision was made to you know to try to. Everybody move forward together, mm-hmm. uh, whether you are liberal or conservative. And then there was the indigenous voices that we had to listen to as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for, for so long, we just kind of imposed our standards and our beliefs onto that community. Mm-hmm. So they need to be able to make their own decision. Mm-hmm. And so in this way, it kind of everybody is able to move forward with their own conscience. Yeah. And affirming that we now have two views of marriage. There's a traditional view of marriage that is between one man and one woman. We have a more progressive and open view of marriage that's now between any two people who are legally able to marry uh, in, you know, that now the church can recognize that marriage as well. Mm -hmm. So those two things I hope can exist side by side. Yeah. Nobody has to do anything that they don't want to do.
0: Right. Right. I think
1: that's a good thing. I think so too. It's a healthy thing
0: absolutely absolutely um, let's talk about the topic of um, mental illness depression sure that sort of thing for a second um, I think everybody has had someone close to them that has suffered from this mm-hmm. and um, obviously I'm sure of all the things the church does you know it's a support network as well yes but you have
1: personal stories at this I don't know if you feel comfortable talking about oh, I do like, I do yeah yeah so uh, two years ago my dad died by suicide um, I, I was caught off guard at the time and, but with the passing of time and, you know, hindsight, looking back, I can see where my, my dad always struggled, I think, with mental illness, mm. and in particular anxiety. And there was probably some depression mixed in there too, because they tend to go hand in hand. But in particular, and that, it was the summer of 2017 when he really slipped into a deep, deep, dark depression. Mm. And from uh, Canada Day to Labor Day, we lost him. He just slipped away from us. Wow. And no matter how much we tried to talk to him and plead with him and pray with him, all the stuff we did, we took him to the doctor, medications, all those things. And he just slipped away from us. Wow. Um, and so you can imagine, as someone who you know works for the church, <laughs> Um, there was uh, the church doesn't have a good track record when it comes to dealing with mental illness and in particular with suicide we've done a lot of damage to people over the years and I think the church has really shaped the kind of cultural view around suicide so I think a lot of the stigma A lot of the not talking about suicide, I think if you follow the thread, comes back to the way the church thought about suicide, Hmm. right? So when you start from uh, a place where you think suicide is a sin. And your soul will never be at rest. And your soul will never be at rest. Yeah, yeah. And we did terrible things like not allow people who died by suicide to be buried in consecrated ground and, you know, force people to come up with these convoluted stories about why their loved one was actually had had died. It was an accident or, you know, whatever. We robbed people of the ability to be able to heal and grieve and and move on. Mm. So the church holds a lot of responsibility I think, in the way we view mental illness and, and suicide. And so after my dad died, I decided I I need to talk about this. Like people need to hear from me as a priest in the Anglican church, in a Christian church, people need to hear about my experience. First of all, that I'm not immune to it, right? That everybody is touched by mental illness. Mm-hmm. And that I think everybody is touched by, by suicide. And I wanted to say, let's talk about it let's not hide it away let's not try to rationalize it or moralize it let's just say it is what it is and have those conversations and i think there's something really powerful about sharing our stories mm-hmm. and sharing struggle so when i tell my story uh, about loss of my dad i you know i'm hoping that somebody else can hear that either someone who might be thinking about suicide themselves or a family member who has lost someone to say, you know, I keep saying we're all in this together, mm-hmm. right? We're all, we all have very similar struggles. We all have darkness in our lives. We all have light in our lives. Mm-hmm. And I think there's something powerful in talking about those things. Yeah. Even the things that make us uncomfortable. Yeah. Right. I think we need to kind of tear the veil off it, talk about it, name it and see the, our common humanity. And mm-hmm. all this stuff, yeah, and I've had a very overwhelming, ex- you know, response from people when I when I do that. Yeah, um, people want to talk. Absolutely, people want to talk about
0: it. It's it's amazing that you can sort of play out on social media that you know the Bell Let's Talk Day and all these things and how. We feel like there's progress made, and there
1: is for sure, but there's still a long way to go, I think. Still a long way to go. And one of the things that I've been reflecting on uh, through my experience is how men are just Mm ill-prepared for any of these conversations. Mm -hmm. And it feels like we're moving from, um, you know, one particular way of 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 being a man of un, of understanding manhood and and masculinity that we're we're slowly moving to something different and i think in that move men just don't know how to make sense of this process it mm. uh and so there's still a lot of the str- you know men have to be strong and and you know not talk about their feelings and not show emotion and be you know a provider for their families and but then there's oth- there's this other thing where men now are taking on more of a responsibility with childcare and in the home uh, that we have a, 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 this new understanding of what it means to be a man mm-hmm. but in that move to this new thing some of us are not adapting well right and then you throw into that mental illness. You know, uh, economic struggles, the loss of a job, the loss of your identity. It seems to be, and like some men too, who are you know coming into an age where they you know they spent their whole career building up this identity of who they are, and now that that's over, well, who am I? Mm. What's my place? What what's my role? What what what's my value? And we're not. We don't have to tools to be able to talk that out right and so that's another conversation that i'm hoping we can we can spark right right we need to talk to each other right talk to our family members talk to our wives our sisters our mothers anybody that to, to just so we don't it's not all in our head all the time mm-hmm. which is a recipe for a disaster for us
0: yeah i couldn't agree more and i think about those things and i think about other losses that people suffer. You know, we had some really good friends who lost a child a few years ago. And I'm, I'm curious as to your thoughts on reco- reconciling spirituality with those big life things. You know, I, I just remember being a bystander in that situation. And, you know, I suppose the, the angry person in me is saying that thing that we've all heard before
1: of like, if there's a God, hmm. How? Yeah, I mean, I've uttered those words myself, mm. because we we really set ourselves up for those kinds of questions, and I'll go back to you know the conversation we were having earlier about absolutes, right? So the church has said two things: that God is all powerful, and God is loving, and so when tragedies happened, we're we're faced with that kind of duality, mm. right? So if God is all powerful and God is loving, why would God allow bad things to happen? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so this we keep banging up against that, right? Yeah, it's never been answered. It's one of those questions, you know. No, and so uh, you know, do we sacrifice the you know the kind of omnipotence of God for the kind of loving part of God, or do we say, well, God doesn't care? How do you make sense? How do you strike a balance Mm -hmm. with that, right? Um, I don't have a good answer. Right. Bad things happen. Terrible things happen. Things that make me kind of, you know, throw my hands up in the sky and scream and say, God, why would you allow this to happen? Right. How did you get to a place in your own life when it came to the loss of your father? Uh I'm still unpacking some of that stuff. I bet. Because in my father's case, too, there was a a lot of what I call toxic religion, mm-hmm. right? That said, you know, uh, if you were just, if you just had stronger faith, mm. if you just believed a little more, mm-hmm. if you didn't put your trust in that doctor and that pill, you'd be better. Mm which creates this, you know, feedback descent to, uh, yeah. into deeper and deeper darkness because we all know it's not that simple, right? Mm-hmm. It's not just a mind over matter thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was a lot of that going on in, mm-hmm. in, in my situation too. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't understand a lot of this stuff. All I understand is how we respond to each other.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I mean, I can look back at my dad's life and I can see how, you know, things led to where they, you know, ended. Mm -hmm. Um, but I try not to dwell on that. Mm -hmm. I focus more on the here and now. Mm -hmm. What can we do? What can we learn from this? How can we make this better? Uh, how do we, how do we, you know, embrace each other after the tragedy? Mm -hmm. And so... But I would point like so in, in, in the church, I'm gonna get theological for a second here now. Sure. <laughs> <Please. So. laughs> in in the church we have this belief that Jesus is God in the flesh. So God, you know, lives among us as human beings. God himself is not immune to suffering. God suffers mm-hmm. with us. Mm. Um and I think there's something holy that? That there's something uh, that suffering is so intertwined with what it means to be human, right? And we so desperately want to escape it. Mm. But I mean, without suffering, without pain, without loss, there would be, you know, the great works of art, great pieces of music, uh, you know, the great poems. From that comes this new life this this light and for christians we would call that resurrection mm. right that from death comes new life and so i think every time we meet suffering with love that's the resurrection right right um i saw you share something about this
0: maybe from a book a recent was it like a oh yeah right about resurrection and the idea of and, and i think you remarked that it was like a challenging passage or something like that yeah can you can you elaborate on that
1: little thing yeah because we we like resurrection is one of those things you think either it happened or it didn't happen exactly yeah right that you kind of have to have this intellectual assent right. in order and it becomes a litmus test right that if you don't believe in the resurrection that Jesus was physically resurrected from the dead you might not be a christian right <laughs> um whereas I think what the author was trying to say and and the way I think about resurrection is that resurrection is is all around us and the the quote that you're referencing was talking about every time we breathe in and breathe out we're participating in that you know uh that dying and that new life we take you know air into us it does and we expel it right so there's this and the pattern of the seasons around us everything seems to be pointing towards this death and rebirth Mm. right suffering and resurrection Mm -hmm. right and uh, so much of religion has been about trying to avoid suffering to the point of saying you know true salvation is escaping all of this and going somewhere else where there is no suffering that's not my understanding especially of christianity christianity meets suffering head-on right god doesn't run away from suffering god suffers with us Mm. in solidarity with us Mm. and so then i think you know suffering becomes something not to run away from but it's something that from it new life can come right right that uh it's in it's in the response to the pain and suffering and loss that we truly experience resurrection right right Right? that new life yeah um we get too caught up in the factual stuff Mm -hmm. right when we start reading literally and I don't think that that's what the Gospels were trying to get at at all, right? Right. Uh, we suffer. There's no rationale for it, it just happens. But how do we respond to it, right? Right. You can become bitter and jaded and angry and cut yourself off and say, okay, I've experienced this deep loss. I'm not going to open myself up anymore. Uh, you know, that's it, I don't want to suffer anymore there is a sense that then when you start cutting yourself off from, especially from other people, that it becomes a a kind of hell, Mm -hmm. right? Where you're just left to yourself. That, you know, um, what we're called to is to be continually opening ourselves up to other people. And if you open yourself up, you will suffer, right? And in in a sense, like, especially with grief, grief is kind of the price we pay for love, Mm -hmm. right? We could walk around and just not, you know, uh, just be all about ourselves, which sometimes in our society I think we are. (laughs) Certainly. Once or twice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But I think what, you know, really good religion, and I think good spirituality too is calling, is about that opening up of ourselves to something else. Mm-hmm. whether that's god whether that's other people whether that's creation itself right that we're being called to be open right if you think about even the word religion the the latin root of the word religion is shares the same as the word ligament hmm. it means to connect and right. so religion means to reconnect right Right? You're reconnecting with something.
0: Well, I was going to say, so many of the things you're saying dovetail so well with sort of the, um, I guess, the, the the, humanist side of things. You know, the idea that, uh, or just secular teachings in general. I mean, what you're saying is, is uh, so much about trying to connect with people and uh, not close yourself off. I mean, these are things... That will be discussed in, I'm sure, a therapy office as much as they would definitely in church, and and those overlap greatly as well. You mm-hmm. know, I'm curious where, you know, where's the line there? You know, where where what is the difference really between a church and that? You know, is it where does the spirituality come in? I mean, I don't know if I'm framing this question properly, but it's sort of like there's so many overlapping views between sort of a secular and a spiritual approach that you're describing.
1: Yeah, I would say, well, why does there have to be a line at all? Mm. Why why can't they be saying the same thing, but just in different ways? Yeah, I like and that. And I would say, too, that, you know, secularism, it's just another story that we tell ourselves, right? It's just another way that we try to make sense of the world right. around us. Right. And if I think if you follow the thread of secularism you end up back in the New Testament right right, right? where Jesus is one of the you know first I don't know, thinkers religious leaders that really points to like an individual responsibility mm. right that we are not just a part of this kind of blob of humanity or Mm. you are not just your family you are not just your uh synagogue you as an individual before god you know you you know it's your responsibility Mm -hmm. right um i think christianity and secularism in a lot of ways are saying the same things Mm -hmm. you can't have one without the other there is a humanist side to christianity to any religion, really, mm-hmm. there's a humanist side to it, right? But I mean, s- secularism, I think, is just another story. Consumerism is another one that we tell ourselves, right? right? Science, even in a way, is a story that we we tell ourselves and make sense of the of the world around us. Right. Um, we're in the middle of an election right now, and you got different parties telling you different stories. Quite a few stories there, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. of of how. And what troubles me, to get political, (laughs) what troubles me about this particular election is that everything seems to be very catered towards us as individuals Mm. and not about the collective. Community, yeah. Because you can, there's extremes, right? You can have an extreme of where there is no personal individual identity to one where there is only personal and individual identity. Right. Neither one of those extremes is good. Agreed. And it's not, you know, wasn't, you know, when we had this uh, kind of all-powerful institutions, whether it was the church or the nation state or your family, uh, that wasn't good for for human beings. Mm-hmm. But when we go the other extreme and there is just the individual, that's kind of empty too. Yeah. Right. That there has to be some in the middle mm-hmm. where, yes, I am an individual and I have certain rights, you know, inalienable rights Mm -hmm. uh, that are owed to me, but I'm also part of a community and that we're really all connected. Mm -hmm. And that's something that both science and religion now are kind of affirming together, Mm -hmm. right? Because science will tell us, I mean, if you trace back our evolution, we all come from this single origin of life, Right. right? If we, you know took the DNA of, you know, took your DNA and the DNA of your cat, laid them out on the table, you wouldn't see much difference. Right. Because so much of life we share. Uh, religion's been saying that forever. Right. We mm-hmm. all come from this common point of origin. We right. call it God. Mm-hmm. And now science is kind of telling us the same thing. Right? right. Which means we have a certain responsibility to each other. It's not just about me. Right. It's about all of us together. Which I think is religion is starting to come back to that, Mm -hmm. right? We're starting to see more of an acknowledgement that uh, an openness to dialogue and to conversation. And I think that's really where religion and Christianity needs to go is being a little bit more humble and a little bit more willing to to listen. Yeah. uh, And, you know, more willing to acknowledge we don't have it all figured out.
0: Well, that, I mean, as we get to the, the end here, that was going to be probably my last question, you know, is, is what is the thing that's facing the church right now? What is the biggest thing when it comes to um, the future?
1: I don't, I, I think, I think it's uh, something that's facing all of humanity, really. And that's the question of what does it mean to be human? And what does it mean to be human together? And how do we organize our lives together? I think those are big, monstrous issues that we've got to come to terms with. Uh, You know, there seems to be so much anxiety now around the future, not even just in the church. And there's a fair bit for us too, right, about what are things going to look like? Are we going to get to keep our church buildings? And will the institutions continue to you know, to live on and, you know, all the things that we've done in the past, will we be, continue to be able to, to do them? So there's anxiety around that. But just in, in the, you know, in wider society, there's a lot of anxiety, right, mm-hmm. uh, around the environment, around our politics, all of our institutions really seem to be falling apart. Um, so I think the really important question is, what does it mean to be a human being? All the technological advances that we're making that are coming at us fast and furious, around genetic engineering and big medical advancements. And how do we make sure that that gets to benefit everybody and not just a select few so that we don't get to a place where there's, you know, there's humans and then there's the real humans, (laughs) right? Right. Uh, I think those are really important questions that as a human species, we've always struggled with. And I think maybe we're coming back to some of those more basic questions. And what I would urge the church to do is to not just be so myopic in our view that we're concerned about our own survival, that we miss being a part of that conversation, and I would say part of the solution of making the world a bit more loving, more just, more compassionate, to create societies and communities where everybody is welcome to be a part of it. We don't all believe and agree on things, but at least we respect each other and we love each other. I think love is still a pretty radical idea.
2: Mm.
1: Right? And I don't know if we've really given it a real shot <laughs> yet, right? And I'm not talking about like the sentimental kind of love. No, of course. Right? But the kind of self giving love where you put others, you know. Like Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. Mm -hmm. That's still a really radical and difficult thing to do, especially when your neighbor in the world we live in can be very different from you and look different and sound different and have different beliefs and different practices. And that's really hard. I'm still trying to figure out how to do that. Mm -hmm. There's no easy answer for that. But uh, my hope for the church is that we don't get caught up in our own Stuff that we realize that there's a there's a role for us to play uh, in society, yeah. right? Um, you know, the prophet John Lennon <laughs> says, you know, imagine, you know, there's no heaven, no hell, because we've expended so much energy in those things, right? right. And that there's something somewhere else mm-hmm. rather than focusing our attention here and now. Yeah. And increasingly, I guess the, you know, trying to get us to to see, you know, one or two generations into the future to say, well, what kind of world are we going to leave behind for our children and grandchildren and great grandchildren? Mm-hmm. So you have people, voices like uh, Greta Thunberg, who I would say is a prophet right? sent to us to wake us up mm. Uh, to get us to start thinking about some of these things again. Because if you listen to what she's saying, she's not just talking about the environment. She's talking about how, how we live with each other, mm-hmm. how we interact with each other, the systems that we build up around ourselves to order our lives, what impact they're having on not just us, but on you know the weak, the marginalized uh, among us. Mm-hmm. That sounds a lot like what Jesus was saying. Right. And what the Buddha was saying and what Muhammad was saying. Right what gandhi was saying right yeah so it's some, um, it's uh it's a it's a new voice that's come to us now to kind of wake us from our slumber right i think we need to listen to her and young people totally i was at the climate march a couple of weeks ago and it was a really powerful experience to see all those young kids uh so passionate about something and you know that's what o- us old folks always say you know they don't care about anything yeah
0: but that's right. because we're living in our bubbles in our houses more than ever. We're not out. We're not out being in the community. And the more that there's events so. like that, the more we get the broader view of what's actually going on.
1: And and I would say not only just not out in our community, but just not outside. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's we've, what I mean. Yeah. We've lost touch with with creation. And and you know it's so easy for us now to go to Sobey's and you pick up your loaf of bread and you go and get your piece of meat that's on a styrofoam tray wrapped in cellophane you don't see where it comes from right Mm -hmm. like you're not out on the water hauling that net in to get your fish for the day you're you're not you know most of us aren't out in the woods hunting that you know meat that we're going to eat we're not you know weeding uh and fertilizing to get that you know potato or you know it just comes to us Mm -hmm. and so we've totally lost the the rhythm of the seasons and weather patterns and that all life comes from the earth. Mm -hmm. And if we don't take care of it, it might not be around (laughs) to sustain us, right? So I think listening to these voices like Greta Thunberg and other, and indigenous voices Mm -hmm. too, right? That are calling us to something that they've known forever, that they never lost, but we've lost it Mm -hmm. along the way. So we need to recover that, you know, ability to see the world in a different kind of way—that it's not just a, there for profit for us to, uh, you know, make things out of. Yeah. That it's there to sustain our life. Right. Or totally. without it. And this is one of the things that I've been trying to challenge people in my con- congregation. Is that we tend to think of like creation is out there somewhere, mm-hmm. and like, but we're creation. If you read our stories. We came from the dirt, right? Right. We are walking blobs of dirt with divine breath blown into us, right? So we are creation. It's not that creation is out there. We, we are creation. We came from the same place. And there's a really, in the Genesis stories of creation, where it says that God said, let us make man in our image, right? So who's the us? At that point in the creation story, it's the rest of creation. So all the animals and the birds and the plants, the rocks, the hills, the trees, everything. God says, okay, let's make man in our image. So we are kind of like, we're creation. Mm -hmm. Creation has a hand in forming who we are. Mm -hmm. That's why I think there's not a discrepancy between, you know, believing the biblical stories to be true, but also believing in things like evolution. Right. Because they're telling us the same thing. Yeah. Right? We are creation. and We we forgot that for a long time, and it's done a a lot of damage to us and to the the world.
0: I hope we remember soon.
1: I hope so. I hope so. Mm. When I hear people like Greta, I'm filled with hope. Yeah, me too. When I see kids marching in the street, because especially here in Newfoundland, we're so docile. Yeah. So to see, you know, I think it was like 4,000 people. Incredible. Out marching in the street, that fills me with some hope. Agreed.
0: Agreed. Right. Um, while I have you here,
1: what happens when you die? <laughs> well, <laughs> do you want the short version or the long version? How long? We,
0: don't, we only have a few more minutes before you have to go. But, uh...
1: The short answer is, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. And I don't know if it's really that important. What's important is now. What are you doing with your life now? Hmm. But, you know, uh, religion has always said that this, how you live here has something to do with... uh, I I read this really great quote a while ago, and I think this philosopher, um, Simon, I can't remember his name now. When he talks about life after death, he talks about the life of those who come after us their life mm. and ensuring that the world that we leave is good for them mm. that's what's important about life after death right do I, you believe in an afterlife i'm kind of agnostic about it okay i don't know <laughs>
0: yeah well certainly if you did know you would be a very popular person I don't there would know. be some people wanting to talk to you about that yeah
1: <laughs> i hope like everybody i've lost people who would be it would be great to see them again to be reunited with them yeah but i don't know yeah i have faith i trust that there must be something yeah but i don't know yeah i don't know but i try to like when i think about my dad he's always with me
2: Mm
1: -hmm. right Uh, that the love that we shared didn't die when he died Mm-hmm. it's still with me and the good things in his life didn't go with him they're now with me and with my children right life after f- death yeah right. I can see it in them like my, my youngest daughter has this like laugh that just fills the whole room throws her head back you know guffaw <laughs> that's what my dad was like right my oldest daughter is a paramedic she and what what led her into that was this concern for people to be a helper mm-hmm. she got that from her pop Right. Right. So he's still, he's still there. Right. Uh, So that's how, and when I'm talking to families who have lost someone, I try to instill that in them. That other part about what happens after we die. Yeah, it's there, but even now there is new life, that resurrection thing again. Right. Mm -hmm. That I don't think resurrection is just something that happens to us after we die, that it's something that we're taking part in now. Mm -hmm. Right that when i choose to love when i choose to forgive when i choose to show compassion when i you know uh, try to make the world a better place for those who are going to c- come after me that's resurrection right too right it's an ongoing process totally
0: thanks for talking to me
1: today rob thanks for having me this was so much fun
0: hey hey okay wasn't that great i had a really good time talking to rob i hope you had a really good time listening to that lots of thought-provoking ideas in there, I think, and that's the point of this. That's the point of this podcast. If you wanted less thought-provoking ideas, go to Twitter. That's where the other ones are. Anyway, thanks again for tuning in, and we'll see you again next week But my guest will be Kelly Russell. Bye!